Welcome to this special episode of The Light Inside. I'm your host, Jeffrey Biesecker, soulful business and leadership coach. This week, we are sharing a candid and frank conversation with international life coach Colin Thompson, where he discusses global tensions and his reaction to racial injustice. Today, we discuss what life has been like having been born a Canadian Jamaican, his experience growing up a black man in a rural Midwestern town of Louisville, Kentucky, why Colin's academic career at Howard University taught him the value and strength in his racial identity, and how ultimately the values instilled in him by his family led him to think and explore globally, and how this ultimately landed Colin in a career in Shanghai, China as a motivational coach. We learn Colin's perspective on what it's like to live globally as a person of color and how that experience has affected and shaped his life on this episode of The Light Inside. Good morning, Colin. It's actually, it's evening time there. Good day. <laughs> nice and bright, um, nice and bright 9 p.m. Yeah, yeah. So how are things over in your part of the world? Uh, things are great. <laughs> you know, i tell you what. Yeah. Um, one second, I'm going to plug in here. All right. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Well, I, I was saying that um, with how things are taking place right now globally, my family yeah. Very safe over here, so things are very, very good. Good, good. Give me a second to adjust my um, my, my. All right, not a problem. I've got all morning. <laughs> okay, I'm going to need to go without my headphones. All right, <laughs> we'll do what we can do. I, I'm having technical problems today, and I think the universe is just kind of picking up on all the chaotic energy that's swirling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it seems to be what the norm is right now there's just so much chaos in in the universe right now and i think that's translating out everywhere yeah yeah and it's kind of ironic yeah, i tell you with, with the totality of podcast um in the light right the, the, the light inside yeah, yeah people have to really look inside just to stay safe stop not sorry yes. sane Right, not to go, not to go crazy. Not just black people, right? Not just black people. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, yeah. yeah. Now, where are you in the U.S.? What state? I am in Ohio. We're way out in the Midwest, which is a really interesting situation right now, too. Uh, you know, we might as well just dive down looking at those angles today because you know it seems to be kind of where the world's at. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Louisville, so I know. A part yeah. Of, okay. I know the part of the country very well. Really. Yeah. Yeah, you're not too far removed. We get down there all the time, you know, so too far removed. So so how do you want to, what topics do you want to talk about? What topics do you want to avoid? I know your podcast talks a lot about entrepreneurs, um, a lot about uh, coaching. Uh, I can cover both of those. And I think, you know, talking about yeah. entrepreneurship and one of the what drives, you know, I think a lot of reasons why African Americans are blasted to business is due to some issue in the real workplace and you want to sort of have control over your own destiny. So we can talk about it from different angles. I don't want to hijack yeah. and talk about that other topic, but yeah. I'm a big proponent and I think why things are really clicking with this project. You know, I started it with the intention that I wanted to move beyond just my coaching you know, in, in a greater impact way, you know, I, I can only bring so much of my experience to any connection with anybody. And I wanted to allow a source where others could also connect in that story. And that created the whole thing, you know, and how we interact when we connect with people is where the true story lies. So we're, we're just going to follow truth today. I don't believe in hijacking it. I think it's, it's following where you're being led, you know? So we'll follow where we're leading today and, and let things roll. Okay, and you know? it, I, I love you know, walking in a lot of times for, for the longest time, the, the cycle of growth for everybody, the cycle of connection for everybody has been COVID for the last several months. But now we have this other shift in the universe that's happening that I think needs connected with and addressed, you know, both in our businesses, right. in our daily lives, as coaching, and it's, it's all interplay to me. I, I agree with you on that end. You know, I think it's sort of a double whammy. Uh, you may, know, you may yeah. be aware that, you know, COVID, that outbreak um, hit some of the more um, uh, uh, poor people um, by far. Yeah. 
And now it's on top of it. It's sort of like a double whammy, right? So sometimes a lot of hard things. It is. My background, okay, I know the, the light up. You're great. I, we try to just keep it real, man. <laughs> I'm more concerned about how you know, the, the, the message hits people coming out of the gates of last week, you know, we did our first three months and I purposely put a week gap there in production where I wasn't taking any interviews. I hadn't planned on putting together a specific episode. And then what happened was I had this window where I wasn't so wrapped up with my day to day that I could kind of sit back and take a view on what was going on in the world, what had transpired for three months, you know, what was suddenly going crazy again. And so I'm looking at that and that was, you know, maybe a forethought, whatever the universe lined me up to kind of have a stop and pause coming out of that. I'm looking that I want to be a greater voice for sharing the light with others, for creating change, for looking at a bigger view of how life is, you know, Business is one microcosm of who we are as human beings, as our existence. But how does that connect with everything else? And where's the balance in that? So wherever we can go with that, you know, it's great. It's very powerful. I'll tell you why I thought it was powerful. Um, Put up a three and a half minute audio file. um, Just talking about, just just expressing that you had to say something. You had to step something. Yes. And I know as a business owner, Maybe it did, maybe it didn't go through your mind. If I put this up here, would that alienate from my audience? Now, I know, I know a lot of people are scared to um, voice when it comes to racial things. So I do commend you for doing that because yes. even as a black, somebody black, I always have to be mindful of if I say how I really feel, um, when I ask certain questions, am I then alienating this audience? And that audience may have potential customers or clients there also. So I want to commend you for just saying, yes. you know what? F the fallout. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really, really good. Well, thank you. And it's, I, I wrestled with it, you know, from the fact that I knew I was passionate about saying, hey, there's, there's things here in life that we have to view. There's ways we interact with each other. We have to stop and view. And ultimately, wherever I act from throughout life, whether it's in business, my day-to-day interactions, if those things aren't in alignment, then I'm not serving my truth. And ultimately, I think everything we have to do originates out of that truth. And if you're not living in that truth, you're out of alignment. Right. I'll be honest, you know, it's, it's been a reality check for me as a human being to sit back and look and say, you know, in what ways do I contribute to this? In what ways do I connect with it? How do I interact? I know where I come from in my heart, but then how is that connected with others and how do we act from that? So, you know, I'm, I'm honestly taking that time to kind of sit back and do that reality check again. Good. I can tell you we appreciate it. I can tell you that. Well, I appreciate you, man. You know, I appreciate being able to connect and, and share, you know, what your story is and how your journey has affected you throughout life today. Okay, well, I'm ready. You know, this may be a little bit of a, an emotional ride today. I don't know, you know, because I, I feel pretty raw about it. I feel pretty raw about it. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so let's share a little bit about your background. You are a Canadian-born Jamaican and now residing in Shanghai, China. Correct. I'll go through my my background. I, I consider myself. Well, let me re-enter it. Yeah. So my background is interesting because I consider myself to be a lifelong immigrant. My parents are Jamaican. Uh, they were born in Jamaica, immigrated in the late '60s, early '70s. To Toronto, Canada. Oh, wow. So I was born in Canada. And when I was eight years old, 1980, we then immigrated again into the United States, to Louisville, Kentucky. Yes. And I uh, stayed there for a number of years. And I got to tell you, it was quite a transition going from Canada to the U.S. Uh, yeah. Really? Absolutely. Um, it was the first time I felt different, quite, quite honestly, because you can imagine I had Jamaican parents. So, uh, so in yes. Louisville, you're from the Midwest. They don't speak Jamaican. They don't talk Jamaican yes. accent. So it was very quite. It was very different in the <laughs> early '80s. Uh, I talked. Also had a Canadian accent. So due to that, I was put in some special classes uh, for speech, uh, for reading, which was interesting yes. because that was third grade. By fifth grade, I was testing into advanced class. But what that taught me, it really taught me that you know you have to 
be confident in yourself. From a, from a young kid, I, I had reasons and examples to really be confident in yourself and don't worry about what sort of uh, bucket people put you in. They may put you in there, but you don't have to stay in there and you can do things to get out. So I'll fast forward. I went to university at Howard University in Washington, D.C. I'm a sports college, yeah. a wrestling college. I was a wrestler in college. And yeah, oh, wow. I'm glad I was because had I not been a wrestler and pretty darn good in high school, I would not have been able to get into Howard because Howard is an academic school with very high standards and my grades were very low. So I'm very fortunate to have got, gotten there. <laughs> but again, what that taught me at Howard, I had to shift who I was. Because as I said, it's an academic school and no girls want to date somebody that's stupid. So I was forced to really, really <laughs> button down and study. And what that did, it taught me that I had skills and things to offer besides just being an athlete. I was actually smart. If I studied, wow, I'm learning. And my confidence, once again, just yeah. shot through the roof because that meant that I had control now over my destiny. A lot of athletes believe their destiny is tied in with their skills, their strength, what they can do. So that, yes. was, very, yes. that was very moving. So um, I was fortunate enough, but unfortunate enough, I studied uh, information systems. So I graduated, went to work for Ernst & Young, and that was my first taste of corporate life. And it was very interesting. Um, Howard University is, a, is a, an HBC, HBCU. Historically black college university. Yeah. So for those four years, I didn't have much interaction with people who weren't black. Um, I did have my internships at Ernst and Young and Anderson Consulting. But yeah. as far as developing relationships and working, so it was very, very different. Um, as you may or may not know, a lot of corporate settings, you know, a lot of black people are the only ones on the team. But I did learn some good habits. Quite frankly, I learned how to stand up for yourself. I learned how to. Um, yes. I, I realized that that networking was just as important as working hard. So I did learn some very important th things there. Um, I'm going to fast forward again. Um, I worked a few places, did a few things, but I, I left, um, well, I went to go back to Howard University to work and get my MBA. I have an MBA in e-commerce and supply chain. And that's when things shifted again for me when I started to work for IBM. And I worked for IBM really for one reason, and that was because they offered me an opportunity to go work internationally. And my father had told us, yes. you're a citizen of the world. Of course, he moved globally. So that's my opportunity to do that. And they, they sent me to uh, Shenzhen uh, in China. That was May of, two, mm. no, no, January of 2008. And I've been here ever since. So a solid, about two and a half, 12 and a half years now, I've been here in China. Yes. Oh, wow. So having all those various experiences, how, how has that kind of changed your perspective on things, not only of, looking at different circumstances in the world, but then just how has it shaped your view in life? Well, I think you kind of hit on the head in your first part, how, how it changed my views of the world. Being so inside my house, growing up, where, wherever we lived, whether it be Canada, the U.S., inside my house, I was in Jamaica. Because inside the house, yes. it's Jamaica. In Canada, you walk out the door and you're in Canada, in Canada now. And being able to shift dynamics like that is very important. And in Canada... It's very, very international. Um, perhaps just as international as the U.S. is. But I think in Canada, the vibe was when you're in Canada, and let's say you're from India, you're still Indian living in Canada. Whereas in the U.S., you want to be American first. They, they put the American part, the part there first. So I was, for, I was fortunate yes. to, to, when I was younger, but I was fortunate to have a lot of uh, culturally diverse friends in, in, um, in Canada. Then coming to the U.S., I then shifted. I had that Jamaica house. I had a Canada experience, and now I'm in I'm in the U.S. So I had a different perspective. I think from the moment I, I came to, to the U.S. and that perspective, quite frankly, was a little different than how I would say a lot of African Americans thought. Now, really, because when you grow up yes. in the U.S. and you you've been born in the U.S. and you go up there, you're born into the unbalanced playing field. You're born into sort of being told that there are limitations, unless you're exceptional or get lucky, there are limitations to what you can actually do because it's institutional. There's institutional. Yes. I don't want to say institutional racism. Uh, I don't want to get that deep, but it, it exists. It, it exists. Now, being from Canada, I never knew that. My parents never knew that. So when we got here, it was, you can do, not, not even you can do any, everything. You are expected to do everything. 
So I had that mindset about before. Then, you know, being in the U.S. for the next, I think, 24 years, 20, a lot of years. Then coming to China, it was another, 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 another tremendous <laughs> shift again in thinking. Um, and by the time I left uh, the U.S., having been there from the age of eight to the age of 34, I also had fallen into there are limitations to what we can actually do here um, in, in the U.S. And not because I, was, I got conditioned. Well, I didn't get conditioned. But because I, I, went, I went up against that in, de- in day-to-day life, um, in the corporate world. So, so I knew that coming here, um, yes. you get sort of not retrospective or introspective, but now you're looking at what's happening in the U.S. from afar. You're reading about it, um, and you're living a life here where foreigners are treated a certain way. And here, you're, you're not so much a, a black person or person of color, you're a foreigner. And everybody's sort of in that same box. Yeah. And relationships are formed here yeah. with other foreigners where I can tell you, there's some people here whom I consider to be friends. But I know if we were back in the U.S. or if they were in their home country in Europe, we wouldn't be friends because we would not have had any reasons to interact. But here, because we're, we're not yeah. somebody from, we're not a French person or an Indian person or American, uh, a white American or black American, we're just foreigners. And I think that's very positive because that's, that, that, that bond is what forces us to spend time with us. So yes. I think there was definitely yes. um, a different perspective. And, you know, the longer I stay <clears throat> out of the U.S., the harder it is, quite frankly, to go back to the U.S. Because I do know that it's still imbalanced. And I have, I have a young child. He, he's, a, yes. he's a boy. So it's very hard to, to go back and want to raise a, a young black man a young black boy in the in, in, in the U.S. Having said that, let me say I love the U.S. <laughs> yes. I love I love. The <laughs> but but the obvious the, the obvious, obvious is there, you know. Yeah. The obvious reality. Is I, I love the U.S. You know, let, me, let me say that. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. You know, it's good to see that perspective because it doesn't come across as as just being a a barb or a bash. Um. You know, there are certain opportunities here that balance that out. How do you feel, you know, what, how would you compare and contrast that, that feeling of the stigma of just being a foreigner versus the stigma of racial imbalance and justice that, that exists here? How would you compare and contrast those two and, and the feeling and, and the nature of dealing with them on a deeper level? Um, I think that the... the being a foreigner here, quite frankly, um, and it, it, it's a very strange thing because I came here in 2008, uh, 12 years ago, and back then there were a lot of foreigners in China, but not as many as there are now. So foreigners have always, yeah. so, so, so local Chinese people, when they see foreigners, it's usually through movies. It's usually on, t- on TV or from history books, not from interaction. So foreigners who came here typically were coming here yes. for the companies. So you're talking about people who are viewed as being very intelligent, um, experts, or as teachers. So they had a very positive view of foreigners. Um, if you're a foreigner, they will treat foreigners better sometimes than they would their other Chinese citizens. So that, in that view, we're treated very well. Now, if you think about how um, African-Americans are viewed in the U.S., I don't think that the... I don't think that the viewpoint of African-Americans for most people is positive. Uh, whereas as a foreigner, it's very yeah. positive. As a matter of fact, we're going to treat you a little better. And I would, I would go as far as to say it's almost yeah. directly the opposite in the U.S. So hmm. there's a stark difference between um, being viewed as uh, a foreigner here in China and African-American in the U.S. And let me say that I am, I'm not African-American. Okay, uh, because I'm Canadian, so I'm not I'm not, yes. I'm not American. I would say I'm black. Uh, I, I would go as far as to say I'm, I'm Canadian Jamaican. Yes. I say I'm a black person, even though I fully, fully associate, align myself with African Americans. I think all of us are black first. Then we come down to our respective countries. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's such a broad existence, you know, to look at is just the various levels of relating 
as a person of color. You know, that's, that's, that's got to be so heavy to deal with. Well, when you say relating, what do you mean? From the, the view of being a Caucasian person, you know, white in the white privilege is we don't get so many different levels of how we're directed and guided in our identity. You know, to me, that's, I, that's heavy for me to look at and, you know, realize the impact of that. Yeah, and I guess being, especially in the U.S., when, um, and, and I hope I don't say the wrong thing here, I don't know if you prefer to be white or Caucasian, um, but um, in the U.S., a lot of Caucasians yeah. never had to be classified like that. Maybe back in the 40, 20s, 30s, 40s, early 1900s, where more quick people coming into Staten Island, yeah. coming over, maybe you were Irish, Italian. Um, that's when I think that was, you know, there were classifications in, in, that, in the white group. I'll tell you a funny story. The, the number one employer of foreigners in China are educational systems, excuse me, educational uh, schools. Yes. You have a lot of um, Chinese parents who want the, their kids to go to international schools. You have a lot of um, foreigners here whose job will, will um, pay for the kids to go to school. So you have a lot of foreign teachers here. And for a long time, when teachers were sending resumes, they, they, they do the, the classic phone call interview. Uh, and a lot, lot of black teachers would get past that, 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 that first interview. They would then go on site for the, for the face-to-face interview, and they would not get past that. And in China, in China, they're very honest with you. They can ask you so many. They can ask you so many questions you can't ask in the U.S. For example, if you're a female, they'll say, "Are you planning on having a baby?" If you say yes, they won't hire you at all. Okay, because no time off. So a lot of when somebody black didn't get didn't get the call back, they would say, "Why did they get a call back?" And they'll say, "Oh, they want a white teacher." Parents, some parents won't accept a a black teacher, especially when it comes to teaching English. They want American English, yes. and in their minds. To be American is to be white. Now, part of that is just out of ignorance because every every Chinese person, yes. every every single Chinese person is Chinese. What that means is you're not going to find somebody of Indian descent, European descent, who has a Chinese passport, who is Chinese. You will not find that. So to them, everybody, everybody in Europe is white. Everybody in Africa is black. Everybody in Indian, in India is Indian, and everybody in the U.S. Well, all the Americans are white, but the, the, the blacks there are from Africa, so they're not really, you know, they're not really American. So when I talk about American, they still picture that, that, that white person. So, so again, there is some racism here also, but compared to what's in the U.S., the only racial issues here is not being hired for a job. We'll take that every day. Right, you will not get killed being being, yeah. being black. And then, yeah. I tell you, that safety, that safety is, is is immense and tremendous. You feel when I go back to the U.S., I get I get butterflies, I get anxiety as that plane is starting to land because I know for the two weeks, for the one month I'm here, I'm going to, I'm going to go through some sort of some sort of BS. To tell the truth, yeah, hmm. yeah, it's that's something to let sink in. Something to let sink in, and that's that's the perspective that that so often gets mm. plowed under, so to speak, and and downplayed so often with with the privilege angle of it. You know, it's you you have to automatically pick that reality up. You, you know, it's interesting because, um, and I, again, I don't want to offend because this is a very very sensitive topic, very touchy topic. And, you know, yes. a lot of, yes. ever since the last two weeks, a lot of, um, is Caucasian, is that okay? Caucasian? Yeah. yeah. To me, that's part of the thing. It's just looking at that reality is now all of a sudden you're having to genuflect back to, is that going to be all right with me? You know, I, I am of German descent pretty much dominantly on both sides of my family okay. heritage. I don't relate with that at all because it's never been we come from Germany throughout my family line. Okay, so I can, I can say I can say one. No, so that's fine. Okay. Yeah, and it's not going to offend me so either way, last, you know. Over the last, <laughs> last two weeks, but, a lot of Caucasian people have come up to myself and other black people who they're close to, and had this sort of awakening. They're like they're woke now, and let's say over the last few days, 
I've, I've had to deal with this. And I've noticed this. And I, to, the, to their, you know, they legitimately are feeling something, right? Legitimately, which is great. But yes. they also yes. are forgetting that although they're feeling it now, we felt this all our lives. So imagine knowing what you're knowing yes. for a long yes. time and nothing has changed during this time. So, you know, I guarantee you if, if, yes. if, if what you're feeling now was with you for a long time and you keep seeing the same thing, you, you'd get really, really frustrated. You go, all, you go through all the different, the different uh, steps yes. of grief too. You get angry, you get sad, um, you get overwhelmed. So, you know, what, what a lot of people are feeling now Man, you know, first of all, welcome to feeling it, but we've been feeling this man for a long, long time. Yeah. 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 It's like, welcome <laughs> to the party, right? And it's not even a party yeah, that's but, fun but to be at. one difference. The, I, I, must, I must make this very, very clear. With, with white America now coming to our party and being a welcome guest in our party, now, now we're, going, we're getting going. Now we got a party. Now we got a party because a lot of, you know, yeah. black people have been pro- protesting and doing these things for years and then going back to the same environment. When white people protest, they end their protest going to lawyers, getting lawyers involved. They end their protest by how they vote. So now we have power behind us for taking place yeah. now. So, so everybody who is woke now and, and, and feeling a certain way, it is wonderful because we've never, never, have we seen this before? Never have we seen more non-blacks protesting over uh, uh, police violence. Never have we seen that before. And I don't mean protesting one day. Every yes. single day, right? Even you yes. put this, this thing, you had to speak out on it, on your podcast. This is, this, this is great. This is wonderful. This is something that we, the last time I was shocked like this was, was when they said Obama won the, the election. That's the last time we've ever been shocked by this. Yes. You know, that, that hopefully becomes that catalyst for the change, for the, the major shift that needs to happen, the major shift that hopefully this is the step forward. Yeah. Um, for yeah, everyone. Yeah, uh, sadly, sadly, if history, yeah. if history is, is a window to the future, it, it won't make a difference. But again, I think now we have we have more power behind what's taking place. So, so I think, and, and people are not letting this go. I mean, you're seeing people, first of all, we're talking about um, incidents, three incidents, three or four incidents in the last few weeks, few months that happened to black people. And you have people from Germany, yeah. people in Germany protesting, people in Africa protesting, in London protesting. This is unbelievable. I'm saying, how do they even feel guilty or bad about this? It's wonderful. And again, Again, these are people who yes. are saying there has to be some change because what's taking place now is too blatant. You know, it's very easy to ignore things that you don't see, you don't believe it. But when you see it, when you see it, if anybody saw the video, or both, both the videos, the Ahmaud Arbery video or the Floyd video, anybody who saw those videos cannot just turn the channel. They can't, they can't cut away. They have to take a second and ask themselves, what did I just see? And yes. what am I going to do about it? And people are doing that. You know, that's the part that, that astounds me so much on the human level. How can you watch things like that and be numb to it on any level? Well, it's just yeah, mind-blowing to me. Yeah, on the human level. Mind-blowing. How can you kneel on somebody's neck for eight and a half minutes and look so casual? On the human And not be outraged. <laughs> Oh man! You know that's like you said that I've been based on one certain thing so far. That's kind of focusing on that business thing. But heaven forbid, life is about so much more than just business. And if you can't conduct life through your business, your business is dead. That's my perspective: is your business is dead. You're not giving life to the world if you're not actually interacting with life. Now, I'm, I'm at that crossroads where to me, it's not feeding me if I'm not breathing life through it as a business. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think and and, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to um, pivot here, but you know, 
Um, no, no, no. This is where we're at in the conversation. My business <laughs> is all about motivating and inspiring. Uh, motivating, I said motivating because I can control yes. that is what I say to you. Um, you can't really inspire people. They have to be inspired on their own by what, you, by what you're saying. But during this time, I, you know, I was here in China for the initial COVID outbreak, coronavirus, because when it first yes. broke out, it wasn't COVID yet. It was still coronavirus. And during that time, I had a lot of friends here who turned to me uh, because they were going through some very difficult times here. Uh, it's really not because they were scared of getting coronavirus, which they were, but they now have to face other challenges they had in their life because now they're inside yeah. with the spouse and the families every day and feeling a lot of pressure. And fortunately, you know, I had to, when everything first happened here, I had to tell some clients, we, we need to pause for a second because I have to make sure my family is safe. So like you just said, it can't be about business. When thinking yeah. of life and life, business, 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 business <laughs> and they understood that. My, my clients in China felt the same way. They did yeah. not want coaching on how to get a better job when they're scared their family's going to get sick. They did not want coaching on how to improve relationships when they're mm. scared their family's going to get sick. My clients in the U.S., they understood because they were hearing about what happened. And luckily, they were okay with putting a pause on for weeks. So business, yeah. you know, does take a back seat. But luckily for me, again, because I'm a coach, a lot of people turned to me and said, Colin, can you help me through this time that's due to COVID? Now, you're a coach. You know that if, you're, if you need some coaching on how to maintain a positive relationship during this time, it's not a, the situation is not about COVID. It's about your relationship. What COVID does is puts it under a yes. magnifying glass because we're spending more time inside. So all the issues that people are having, COVID has brought them out. So it wasn't, it wasn't COVID coaching, but it was about things that are now more amplified due to COVID. And I was, again, fortunate enough to be able to coach them through how to, you know, it's, it's different kind of coaching. Because, you know, it's not that long-term three, six, nine months coaching. These are laser, you know, we're going to try to yes. give you some advice Right, right, right. Let's get to the point quick. I felt very proud. So when I turn the TV on now, look, Jeff, I can't go out and protest. But I turn the TV on now, and I see the people protesting. If I was in the U.S., I'd be out there. So I felt felt the same same feeling of pride. I feel seeing people do that is how I felt when I was helping people go through this COVID part because I felt like I was, I was giving, giving back and helping people get through a tough time that we have no control over, which is very similar. So, so you talk about business and, and life and, you know, luckily I was able to, you know, able to use my skill set, you know, during that time. And I didn't charge anybody for this. So, so, so it was business, but it, it, was, it was my, it's, it's what I do, but it wasn't my business bringing me revenue. So I felt very proud of myself too, that I was able to, able to do that. So let's talk about your journey that led you to China to begin with. Let's, let's go back to that point and back up a little bit. You know, what, what were your circumstances and how did that point you from making the move from the U.S. So to I, China? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, my father uh, is Jamaican and we moved around a lot. My father always reminded yes. us kids that we are citizens of the world and we should get as much international exposure uh, as we can. And, and with that in mind, luckily, I don't know if I say luckily, but when I was, as I got into my uh, late 20s, early 30s, I was still single. All of my siblings, I have five siblings, they were, all, they were all married with kids. So they really didn't have opportunities to go abroad at that time. Outside of taking vacations. Yes. Now, um, as, we, as we talked earlier, I've always had that, that experience living in different cultures. And and being in the U.S., I knew there was something more. I knew there was something more from two, two perspectives. How, how, the, how things were stacked against certain people in the U.S. And how there are so many stories to, 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 to go hear about. So many people have so many stories. In the U.S., a lot of stories are similar. The different ones are similar. I felt like there were so many more people maybe somebody in Poland, maybe somebody in Africa, maybe who I haven't even met yet, who has a very fascinating story. So I really looked at getting, getting uh, back overseas again. And luckily, I was working at Howard University as an IT project manager, and they have this thing called tuition remission. Yes. 
which means that if you work for university, you get a major discount off of off your your tuition cost. I said, really? So I spent three and a half, four years um, getting a double concentration MBA, uh, electronic business, supply chain management. And when I started to do my interviews, I made sure I interviewed with companies who had opportunities for me to go abroad. Uh, a few companies did, and IBM was a you know very well known, very well known company. Uh, and I liked I liked the the interview process gives you a, a feel of the people who work there, and I very much enjoyed the interview process with IBM. So when they made an offer, you know, I asked the question, you know, they, they want they hired me into a, a two year management training program where you have four rotations in different locations. I said, what are the odds that one of those rotations is uh, international? Well, I said, Colin, I can't promise you that that you can do it, but the the guy was saying, he can't promise me, but I got you, Colin. I'll make sure it happens. And he did. My fourth rotation was was in China. And I remember my oldest brother, when I was packing up, I remember him saying, you're not coming back, are you? Because the rotation was six months, six months. I remember him saying, you're not coming back, are you? And I was like, I I don't think so. I don't think so. And my first week at the job, uh, the the guy who was sort of like my mentor manager, who was supposed to look after me for six months, asked me, what's your goal for the six months? I said, my goal for the six months is in five and a half months, you offer me a job here. That's my goal. And he did. He offered me the job to be the manager of the team. I went there to, to, to support a new, a new business and they, they had somebody come in who was going to be the manager and they ended up getting rid of him and asked me to be the manager. So it worked out, it worked out fine. So that's a story of how, how this uh, Jamaican Canadian guy got, got here to, uh, here to uh, Shenzhen and now Shanghai, China. So looking at that experience, how has that kind of shaped your view in wanting to help others, you know, not just, you know, from, from a holistic standpoint, you know, what, what has that guided you toward and, you know, how has that shaped your mission? Not so much coming to China um, as it was the opportunity I had in IBM to start coaching. Now, I don't want to come back to that, but, you know, in the U.S., my father would always say, look, you got to work hard for what you want. You got to work hard. It doesn't matter. Your skin call your name. Work hard. Work hard so at least you're in the conversation. So I never felt like I couldn't achieve anything because of the color of my skin. But I knew a lot of people who did, and not just because of the color of the skin, I knew some white guys who felt they were too short. I knew some people who felt they were too fat. So they felt something about the physical or intelligence was holding them back. So from a very, very young age, um, I would say more, more high school age, I'd always tell people, man, you can do it. Come on, man, you can do it. I got more into motivating, motivating, motivating. Now, I was also very good in sports, um, very good in sports. So my football team, my wrestling yeah. team, and I was the captain. As the captain, the coach will tell you, I call it, go get your team ready. So you had to inspire people. You had to, you had to get them fired up, get them motivated. Now, football, you have a whole team, <laughs> right? And, you know, someone else can help also. But in wrestling, it's one-on-one. And you've got some teammates who who, yes. who get their ass kicked almost every week. But you have to <laughs> get them ready to change it. No matter what happened, you know, last week or even this morning, you go out there and win. So I always was in that motivate, yeah. motivate, motivate, inspire, inspire, inspire. And there's nothing like motivating somebody who lost 10 times in a row, telling them he can win, and seeing him reaction when he wins. Nothing like that. So I've always wanted to, not even want to, motivating and public speaking has always been my goals. And college, after college, I tried to see yes. how can I bring these two things together, motivating people and public speaking. And well, uh, in IBM, um, luckily I had an opportunity. People, people got to know me and they knew that I love two things. I love talking and I love motivating. So they asked me to volunteer to be a coach. We had a, a little internal coach training. They asked me to, to, be, to try, try, be, try to be a coach. And I'll tell you what happened. It was like somebody poured light, light, you know, lighter fluid and lit me on fire. Because, and, and Jeff, I can I yeah. guarantee you, you give me a little time with you. I can motivate you, Jeff. I can motivate you run through the wall. <laughs> now, today is, today is a Tuesday. Today's Monday. 
I can motivate you on Monday. You'll still be fired up on Tuesday. But yeah. by Friday, you're not running through a wall. You're not. You're not. You're not going to do it. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, go ahead. It's- as I was going to say, that's that motivation from wrestling. My son was a wrestler, started in, uh, I believe it was the fourth, third, maybe third or fourth grade when he, he got his start. And even at that young of age, you know, and my son is a very kind of laid back, you know, when he was younger, especially a little more laid back, kind of soft-spoken type person at his core, but there's a fire in his belly. And I think a lot of that come from his wrestling experience, but watching how that mindset of a wrestler turns on, you know, you're on the mat and all of a sudden, yeah. boom, you know, it's yeah, the flip of that switch. A little, they say wrestling a little, a little touch in the head. It's true. <laughs> it's true because think about it. You have to, you have to go into battle, literal, literal battle. Nobody can help you, no matter who you got to face. And you can't run away from yes. it. Now, I'll tell you, it gives you it gives you such self confidence, win or lose. It gives you such self confidence because you face the challenge each and every time you get on the mat. So let me let me wrap this up real quick. I, I, I know I tell all the stories. So uh, that's all right. No, this is the great stuff. You know, this is this is where all okay, of the insight comes from. Let the stories roll. <laughs> uh, so now in IBM, they taught me how to coach. And as you know, I have a coach. What coaching does, coaching is that partnership yes. with another person where as a coach, our goal is to help them to reach their goal, to improve their life, life for life. So now I had the piece I was missing. Remember, my goal, public speaking, motivating, slash inspiring. Now you give me a tool for Jeff, if I motivate you or get you going on Monday, now I know how to help you keep it going. Not keep you motivated. Yes. Not keep me motivated, but keeping you going. So it was like a light bulb went off. And, you know, at that point, um, I was lucky enough to have about two or three years to now join, officially join a team in IBM that's doing coaching. So it felt good. But, you know, first of all, great experience. Yes. The challenge with corporate coaching is that I found when I was coaching leaders and you know, you share a lot, and when leaders would have a conflict, the, our coaching still sort of went in the direction of where, where we lead them must be what's best for the company because that's what I'm working for, and I must be loyal to, to that first. And sometimes there are conflicts in what's good for the co- company and what's really the best for this person. And I said, you know, if I can find a way to really do what I call organic, real coaching, so I decided to launch my own coaching practice, leave IBM. IBM, my job was moving, moving to Beijing. My wife said, no, go to Beijing, <laughs> which I, I understood. I understood. And I told her, I said, honey, um, I know my job is going to be changed in about six months. I don't think I'm going to look for another job. What do you think? And I told her, I'm going to go into my coaching and my blockchain business. And her reaction was, go for it. And you know that if your spouse is on board, oh, it just makes things so much easier. So I, I burned my boat. I did not update my resume. Yes. I did not do anything like that. I just turned my, turned my ship fully toward being a life coach. I say a life coach. In my heart, I'm the motivator, inspire. So I say a life coach, <laughs> but, you know, and I, but it's still life coaching and still motivating and inspiration. If I can find how to package a a a a, a, a we had tape, you know, yes. what you say, Major, I, I assume. We had, you know, uh, Les Brown, um, 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 Jim Rohn. We had tapes. We listened to, listened to. Now, I'm not so sure so much how people have attention span over 10 minutes. But I'm trying to find ways to package those old school tapes. You know, <laughs> I have about a few hours worth of stuff to get yes. fired up. So I'm looking at that motivation, inspiration side as well. That's fantastic. Uh, what exactly are the, you know, from your perspectives, core key elements of what you create within your program? Well, I say my style is, you can call it quirky. As, as a coach, you know that as a coach, there are certain rules we have. Yeah. We don't give advice. <laughs> we don't pressure. We, don't, we have no judgment. At the same time, you have to be authentic. And I'm not sure how much 
motivation. Motivation belongs in coaching. If your client gets motivated, that's great. But a coach should not be a motivator because you don't want your client to depend on you to get motivated. But my my style yes. is, you know, if you don't leave each session a little fired up, and not necessarily because of what I'm saying to you, but because of what you're discovering. So I think my style is more of a pure coaching with some motivational elements mixed in there as well. So what do you feel that experience at Howard contributed to that? You know, having gotten your education at Howard, I know the motto there is, is, uh, I can't remember the, the Latin for it exactly, but it translates to truth and service. I love this question. I love this question. <laughs> Howard, I can say Howard literally changed my life. Again, growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, the elementary school, middle school, high school, you don't see a lot of black people doing it big. What I mean is every year in high school, you have your class president, yeah. you have your slate. And maybe, maybe they have one black person on that slate. The black person is usually sergeant arms. They're usually in a very lower position. Um, so you don't really see that, that, that sort of responsibility being put on people of color. If you look at your educators, your, your, your teachers, now you saw a lot of black teachers, but you never saw them as principals. Um, you saw a few counselors, a few counselors, but again, they weren't in those positions of influence. Going to Howard, again, Howard being a historically black college university, every Howard was 90, 95% black in the undergraduate, undergraduate school. What that means is all student positions, um, the jobs on campus, people are black. And for the first time, you're seeing black people in positions of power, influence, and really making a change. And again, Howard University was founded um, by freed slaves. So when you get there, the history books, in my high school, we literally had one page of black history. Not one page, one paragraph. And that paragraph was on Dr. Martin Luther King. And we only opened that up in, in uh, um, Black History Month. So you're getting no black history. So when I got to Howard, the first thing yeah. I said was, I yeah. didn't know that. I had no knowledge of history. So you got what we call knowledge yeah. of self. I learned that my people were kings. My people were queens. Yeah. My people were doctors, were lawyers. I learned so much about the power of black people that it changed my life. Because now, shoot, if he can do it, I can do it. And more importantly, you tell me I had to come to a black school to get this knowledge, but only a handful of blacks go to black school. So a lot of African Americans aren't getting this knowledge. Yeah. Now hopefully in the household they are, the household they are, they're not getting this knowledge. So now this is what how teaches you teaches you how university teaches also teaches you, you have responsibility to look back. So now I'm armed with the belief, I'm armed with the knowledge. And more importantly, I'm armed with responsibility. So that just totally sh shift, shifted everything up. Now I have responsibility to go to corporate America. Because again, if I can get there, I'm going to pull somebody with me. I'm going to pull somebody back, right? I'm going to make sure that when we have interns, yes. I'm going to complain if they only go to white schools to get interns. I'm going to complain about that, right? Now, I may not be heard, I may not be heard, but I'm going to officially complain. Yes. Because things have to change here. So Howard, Howard gave me such a tremendous sense of self and a sense of responsibility. It's, it's kind of like that window of truth yeah. has been open for you, you know, for seeing what the world really is. Um, you know, I, I'm even astounded myself looking at the way history is taught in the U.S. and how so much of it is filtered, especially in regards to you know, people of color and the way you interweave with that history. That colonialism just blows my mind. Um, you know, we watched the Selma movie last night. And we got, like you said, that paragraph of Martin Luther King. But so much of that story was omitted. You know, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s. I was born in 70s. But we just missed the cusp of actually visually experiencing that. And... Going back now and looking, so much was omitted. Quite frankly, that just 
that annoys the fuck out of me. No, I'm very happy that you're that you're bothered by that because it does. There are a lot of people in the U.S. who don't care about that. So I'm very happy that it bothers you. Yeah, yeah. I wrestle with that. I wrestle with you know looking at that whole having to to look at it and think yeah. that it's about time. You know, it's about time. I I, I dare. I've tried to align that way the vast majority of my life. You know, you, you have those Midwestern roots. We know the reality. We know the reality nationally, but we know Midwest that disproportionately that reality has extra think, weight. You know, the Midwest does. I think in the South it does. I think East Coast it does. I think West Coast it does. I think it just yeah. hides itself a little different or it's played out a little differently. Uh, West Coast may see uh, yes. more people of color getting uh, better jobs, but they're not getting any advancement. Um, so there's, there's always, you know, I look at it from a global standpoint. Africa, same thing with colonialism, but it's Africa. It, it, yes. it has Africa messing up right now. So this, this is several years later. So I, I look at it as a global issue global thing and again that's why it's so remarkable that people globally are getting are feeling a certain way about this and they're saying as you said it's time and we really feel like it, it, it is time and, and yeah. what people are saying you know if you want to understand what time it is right be quiet for eight and a half minutes yeah yeah why is that such a huge ask of any human being Take eight and a half minutes of your time because someone lost their life over eight and a half minutes. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) I I can get fired up about it quick, um, you know? I can get fired up about it quick. Very, very messed up last week. This is, is, you know, a week and almost a week and a half later. Yeah. Almost, yeah. I was very, very... Very, very messed up yeah. over this last week. And, um, you know, luckily, luckily, we saw yeah. what calmed people down, again, was seeing people coming together. Because we had rhetoric coming from on top that didn't make things better. Yes. And I think that rhetoric also inspired people to say, it's time. So, you know, sometimes you have to, sometimes the, the more louder the, the other side is, the more people can hear you and say, well, what's being said isn't right. Let me get involved. So, so this is, this is, I, I want to see how things play out. I want to see what comes from this. Yeah. You know, it's, I got my own mixed reaction to it. You know, we had, we, we literally live in Greenville, Ohio, the town where the, the treaty was signed that, you know, the, the whole notoriety of the town is it opened up the U S for white settlement between the treaties with, with the Native American tribes, yeah. the, the real Americans. And that, that had an extra weight to me to look at as we had protests there and people standing up for rights and having that sign looming in the background at the city hall that said, this is a site <laughs> that generally started a lot of that here. You know, perpetuated, perpetuated, not not necessarily started, but perpetuated. That had extra weight. And, you know, part of me wants to share those photographs, but I also look at the reality. How do you handle that responsibly? So it doesn't become insightful. So it doesn't tribute. You know, so that's that to me was like, you know, I'm wrestling with this because you, know, you look at that and, and there was so much message in that. What would sharing those photos reveal? I don't know, because, you know, it, it's a filtered opinion for me. And some of that is the white privilege looking at that and saying, I have a different view and perspective of it. You know, my view is that it says, hey, this is a spot where it could be a catalyst for change. It should be a catalyst for change for looking at it. That, hey, you know, this this. Spot created some of that. How does this spot unravel some of that? Wow. 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 And it was weighty. You know, it was weighty to look at it. And it wasn't, I am, 
it was profound for me. Yeah, be it was profound because, because I'm like, you know, there, there is so much in there. That, you know, you're, you're, you're weighing on this. Yeah. So if you, if you, you know, if you don't do it, people may say, well, maybe, you, you, know, you, know, you know, why didn't you do it? And if you, because if you do do it, you know, for a fact, you are going to get some applause. Yeah. You know, for a fact, you're going to get some people pull you to the corner and say, what the F are you thinking? Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, my instinct was that protective instinct. I, it was protective, and not of myself. I'm, I'm, I try to view myself as you know. I'm willing to put myself on the line. You know, I'm willing to put myself on the line for for what's standing up for others, what's looking out for for others, and not just. I had to look at my own motives for that, but but deep down. At the, the core level, it's, you know, is this going to create further divide? Is this going to create further backlash for others? I can handle the weight of coming down on me. So who to divide? You know, I can handle that. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm looking at. And, you know, is, is the division necessary? You know, should it, should it be a point where you have to kind of divide and say, let's, let's step, step things back here and look at it. Right, right. Divide where you stand on it. You know, so that's where I wrestle with it. it it's there, and I've, I've acknowledged it's there. But I, I, I visually noticed it. I felt so compelled. I got to capture this because it does have meaning beyond just how I'm relating to it. You know, I know. You know, I watched that, and you know, you have to feel drawn where you act. Hmm. You know, I can see parallels with with that throughout history, and you know, I'm not trying to build myself up and ennoble myself in any way. But you, you look at that reality as a human being, where does your impact lie and where does your responsibility to react with others lie? You know, so I you know, took that into consideration. What my intention is, what my motive is, you know, mine was to, to look at it and say, well, what's the perspective here? How, how do we create a better perspective? But, not everybody interacts with that. So, yeah, you know, this may not make it into the conversation. It may make it into the conversation, but, you know, we're having a peaceful rally here. But then you have the juxtaposition of locals getting worked up over it and thinking that, you know, the destructive riots are going to come here, that, you know, businesses are going to get destroyed here and they're exercising second amendment rights that, you know, our government's bestowed on them by walking up and down the street with, with openly exposed weapons of, of all sorts. I'm not going to get into the whole debate about, you know, where they, what type of weapons, but you know, guns of all sorts freely up and down the street, you know? Well, if you took a picture, there's a battle with me with that. If somebody told you to take the picture in the first place, then, then, you know, you kind of yeah. have your answer. Yeah. 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 But you live, yeah. you live in that community and you have to deal with the backlash. Okay. Oh, I'm not worried about my being in the community. My being in the community is secondary because I've put myself over that line a number of times in the past and have had my own run-ins and battles with it. Being somebody that tries to stand for a different reason and a different truth, you know, I've run into my own battles within the last several years in that, that, you know, saw potential backlashes and threats and allegations thrown toward me. Well, again, this is your decision. And, but you now, know, not the time to be quiet. I addressed it. Yeah. Now it's not the time. I know. I know. So I'm looking at, you know, more. Yeah. You know, I wanted to make sure I wasn't just acting from a point where that outrage just becomes a lash and, Knowing that you you have the knowledge, but using it in a way okay. that becomes powerful, positively powerful, instead of just throwing it out under you know I, I was a little outraged by looking at it was was my initial that's never to me unless you you come to to acknowledge that outrage the best place to 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 act from well it's framing right I think you know especially especially in the days of social media and whatnot yeah. Yeah. Sometimes what's equally as important as that image, as a picture, are those terrible words you put with that picture. Almost equally as yeah. important. So I think it's the framing. You know, I, think, I think that's very important. So, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. Well, at the moment, I was like, the picture speaks. You know, I don't even have to add words, but then that leaves the ambiguity out there. If, you know, if you don't kind of guide some of that narrative in the positive light, you, you truly want to, to use it in. You're already starting on the wrong foot. You know, I'm already starting on the wrong foot. Is this guy just trying to incite? You know, what is he pushing buttons? And I know those those become the reality that if you own it and take the step, you got to deal with it. Yeah. Very clear what your intentions are. Yeah, make it very clear what your intentions are. Very, very clear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're taking the gloves off. If, if you voice it, you're taking the gloves off and you got to own it. And Agreed. it's going to intersect with people on all levels. Yeah. So, but, you know, the reality is, is you look at that and it was a reality of the moment. <laughs> and that was a complete divergence, but, you know. But see, I don't think so, right? Because you talk about inspiration, you know, your podcast, Delight Inside, yeah. this is what it is. You talked earlier in the beginning about business versus life. And what we have now, this is, you know, this is a life decision. Yes. You know, something happened that made people really want to stand up and say, how can I help? How can I be a change catalyst? How can I be a change agent? And any little thing you can do that starts a conversation, that sheds some light, is what needs to be done. Now, I am biased. I am biased. I'm going to tell you that now, okay? I am definitely yes. biased. So I'm, so I'm pro one side. I say that what we're talking about here, the conversation, I guarantee you, there are other people in your audience that are probably having the same battle. They want to know, should, should they be the one to go to work tomorrow and say yes. in a meeting, um, why, don't, why, don't we have, why is it that I'm the only woman on the team? Why is it that I'm the only minority on the team? So there are people who are seeing things that happen, yes. right? But don't want to cause trouble for fear of retribution or don't know what to do. So this conversation we had at the end, to me, has been the most powerful one because again, I'm talking to yes. some, a, a white man who is sitting here in Greenville, Ohio, the birthplace of something like that, and it's messing with his mind about what he should do. To me, yes. That is powerful. To me, that means that, wow, yeah. people who, not, not talking about you, Jeff, but people who may have just sat by and watched before are no longer standing by and watching because it is time. So I think this little conversation, to me, is a highlight. This is what people want to hear. This is for the moment people to take action, and it may help them say to themselves, yeah. you know what? Me worrying about my next bonus or my raise is not more important than me voicing about treatment of other people here in my office. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's speaking truth to power. You know, it, maybe the moment has to align with the rest of the message coming with it. You know, so <laughs> it's out there now. <laughs> so, so it's time and I'm being held accountable for it. You know, and sometimes that's the action we need yeah. is, that responsibility holds us accountable. How are we delivering this? So, well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. You know, usually I'll come in and set up notes. And, you know, as we both kind of mentioned early on, you know, we're both kind of wrestling with these little technical difficulties. And it's forced me to kind of disband a little of that and just roll with the conversation and that's you know the truth come out in all the authenticity so yeah it has i appreciate you ma'am this has been a great conversation it's 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 so good to meet you i want to have some more discussions you know it's yeah i'm always i'm always around man i'm always ready to talk about talk about um coaching motivating always ready to talk about what can be done to help people globally not yeah. people of color of course, I'm much more inclined to make sure people of color yes. are getting a level playing field. So I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm drawn to that. But anytime you want to come back and talk about anything, man, it's not, it's not like you come back. Anytime you want to have me come back. We'll just come together. Let's yeah. put it that way. Just come together and share the conversation. Yeah. I feel a kinship with you, man. And it's... I knew that coming in from, from the discussions we had and from what uh, we traded in our uh, correspondences. So, yeah, I'd love to have you come back with us and, and share some more thoughts. Yeah, and let me say this. Um, I want to thank you because you talked about correspondence. Um, I know your, your podcast is 
lines for entrepreneurial coaching, things like that. And um, I, when I when I emailed you, I said, "Look, I think this needs to be addressed too because it's sort of like up in the room." And you responded, "Thumbs up." There are other yes. podcasts that are running from this topic because they have a fear that you know they don't want to alienate, they don't want to. Right? So I want to yeah. thank you for being brave enough to say yes. Bring this. You're welcome. That's. Like I said, if you're not operating from that point to me, and that's my my personal perspective on it, then you're not living your fullest. You're not you're not addressing your true value to the world. So, you know, it's, to me, if your business is lacking that, you're you're lacking the life of of everything. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, I appreciate your willingness to to be open and frank about all that with me. Also, thank you. Yeah, I love you, my man. Yeah, let, let's get together soon and just connect. And, right. you know, I'm down with it. We'll follow where the paths lead. All right. So I appreciate you. Thank you, Colin. It's time to lean in and listen, to know better, to do better, and to be better. Life is about so much more than just conducting business. We must conduct life through our being, or the life of our being is dead. Bringing life to the world, you are interacting in a way that brings positive light to that world. You leave that world a better place for all. Colin and I have discussed a lot today. Join us by clicking the lightinside.us backslash make change to learn how you can raise your voice for honesty, truth, and compassion against racial injustice. We can and must create a better reality for our future together. 